0: Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. I guess I want to ask you this question. When you look at the world right now, what do you see? When you look at the stuff that goes, is going on right now. What do you see and how do you see it? I, um, you, you may have a moment in your life where you realise that the world you thought you lived in was actually different to what reality is. Have you ever had one of those moments? Yeah, maybe sometime in the last two years, the last month. Since yesterday? I don't know. For me, that moment was when I was about 20 years old. I was on a, a youth mission team, went to Zimbabwe. And I um, uh, had some, a couple of days. We were in, staying in Harare in the capital. We were there about three years after Mugabe took power. So it was um, uh, fairly tense still. And uh, we were billeted out, me and another guy, we were billeted out with a really wealthy white Zimbabwean family. They lived pretty close to the centre of town. They had this big property, probably, I'm trying to work out how much it would be, I'm not good at estimating land size, but it would be maybe two acres of land in the centre of Harare. Um, uh, Big house gardens. It was like living in a a two-storey mansion in the middle of the Botanic Gardens. That's what it felt like. They had a number of servants who did lots of things for them, and they, uh, one of the servants uh, was a gardener who looked after their gardens. He got paid, I think, uh, two US dollars a week for looking after their gardens, and his uh, his name was Evergreen. Now, I'm. sure that that wasn't actually his Zimbabwean name but that's what they called him and um, the guy that I was with the two of us got to know Evergreen a little bit and we went uh, one day he said I want we had some time off he said I want you to come and meet my family so we went for a walk out the back gate and uh, down through the streets of Harare for about 10 minutes and we came to a place that was completely the opposite it's what we would call a slum Uh, there's you know Every, all the roads were dirt and there was uh, open sewage flowing through and uh, the houses were sort of knocked together out of whatever materials people could find and they had no doors, just a piece of fabric or a blanket sort of hanging there. And uh, Evergreen took us to meet, uh, first of all, his mum and dad. We, you know, they were in the house and we got to sit down with them and uh, because it was about lunchtime and hospitality is really important in that culture, they uh, made us lunch and we suddenly realised that they'd used probably all their meat for the week to make lunch for us. And we sat down in their house in this small room and they put all the food in front of us and then they sat back and watched us eat their food for the week. And we knew what we had to do. You know, we were told about hospitality and it would be very rude not to do it and they would assault them so we sat there and we ate it. And... um we were there for about an hour and then Evergreen said, um, uh, now I want you to come and meet some more members of my family. And we left there and we walked uh, just a few minutes further sort of into the, into the township and um, uh, went to another house that looked pretty much the same with the blanket hanging down at the door, we got inside. And because it was about lunchtime, um, they made us lunch and put it all out on the table in front of us and then sat back and with big grins on their face watched us eat it all. And uh, we were there for about an hour, and uh, we left there, and Evergreen said, now I want you to come and meet some more members of my family. And we went for another few minutes' walk. We went to another house. It was pretty much the same with the blanket and all those things. walked in, and because it was still around lunchtime, they um, made us lunch, and we did the whole thing again three times. And I remember walking out the door at the end of that with my stomach full, but my heart empty. And I realised that the world was not quite how I always thought it would be. Uh, I grew up uh, in western suburbs, my dad was a tradie uh, in a working class family and I look back now and I think we probably um, didn't have a lot. Uh, When you're a kid you don't really recognise that, right? You just... Live with what you got. And I know my, my dad worked two jobs. He worked shift work so he could get shift penalties to get extra money. And then on his days off, he'd go and work a second job uh, to uh, to keep money coming in. And, we, and as soon as our kids were a bit older, mum went out and got a job as well. And so uh, I look back and I think we actually were probably doing it pretty tough. And they were probably under a fair bit of financial stress. and We'd never noticed it. But, uh, but even then, I was just privileged to... Uh, Didn't have to worry about where my next meal was coming from, or whether if I turned on the tap, water would come out or not. If I even had a tap to turn on. And so there comes this point for us where we see what's happening around the world and see how difficult the world has become now. And we try and make sense of who we are, who God is, and what's happening in the world. And it's been tougher the last few years, right? Because we've got COVID, right? The World Bank uh, and the United Nations are suggesting that um, the effects of COVID in the the global south, in the developing world, will be that a billion people will be pushed back into extreme poverty. I mean... We've we spent twenty years, we the church and other humanitarian organ, twenty years fixing global poverty, and it's all undone like that. We've gone back twenty years in that short space of time. But then you think about all the other things that are going on. I the uh, the stuff with uh, a year ago, just just over a year ago, thirteen months ago, the uh, coup in Myanmar, and then. Uh, more pandemic related stuff in Papua New Guinea and in India and in Nepal and in Bangladesh, and then um, the, uh, the uprising in uh, Afghanistan, and then the Tonga earthquake, and uh, more recently, what's happening in the Ukraine. Like, it's just insanely difficult to cope with. I uh, worked really hard actually at avoiding thinking about Ukraine. I did, I not because I didn't care, but because I cared too much, and I just couldn't cope with just this volume of stuff that's going on in the world, and I, I, I got to the point where I, I was avoiding the news. My kids were saying, what's going on? Is it gonna be World War III? So I don't wanna know. I stopped, I stopped doom scrolling Twitter and Facebook. I just had to stop. And then, just a few weeks ago, um, Our our church does a a pop-up coffee in a local community centre every Saturday morning and um, uh, a lady turned up there who used to come regularly. She's a very difficult Eastern European lady who uh, we could never quite understand and uh, we start at 10 and she'd be there at quarter past nine demanding coffee and all these other, like, you know, difficult lady. And she'd moved away from the neighbourhood. We hadn't seen her for a while and she drove back for half an hour to come back uh, the other Saturday, and she, in her broken English, um, tells this story that she herself was a refugee from Ukraine uh, after World War Two and the Cold War, and um, she said, I have to tell you this with my words, otherwise my heart will break. Um, my family were killed yesterday by a bomb back in the Ukraine. And suddenly this thing that I'm trying to hold at arm's length and not think about and not deal with comes rushing into here. And this is this feeling of despair and hopelessness. And I've been thinking about that. And I've been wondering whether where we're at right now in the world is that we're actually facing a hopelessness pandemic. We could put the Next slide. I wonder if that's it. Are we in the middle of a hopelessness crisis? Because it sort of feels like that. Like, you try and put words to it. I've tried to put words to it, and it's very, very difficult. Perhaps this is where we are. And if that's the case, who are we as God's people in the midst of it? How do we respond to this global hopelessness pandemic? And it raises this question for me and for us at Baptist World Aid. We can flick to the next slide. What if God really did want to end poverty? Like, what if God was serious about it? What if God wanted to end poverty? Go to the next slide. There's this passage in Psalm 89. Psalm 89 starts with talking about the characteristics of God and how how powerful God is and how mighty God is and how how glorious God is. Um, And it gets to this point, verses 13 to 15. Powerful is your arm, strong is your hand, your right hand is lifted high in glorious strength. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship, for they will walk in the light of your presence, Lord. Some really interesting stuff going on in this passage. This is one example of a myriad of these examples throughout the Old Testament where the words righteousness and justice are put together and where they're linked into righteousness and justice being our act of worship. I don't know what you do with those words, righteousness and justice, and I don't know what you do with the word worship and what worship means to you um uh, worship can easily mean singing and praying and gathering together as God's people. We get together for a worship service. We get together to worship. But the psalmist here is very, very clear that righteousness and justice and our actions in those spaces are actually the very core of our act of worship to God. And it's undeniable. You can just look over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again at um At the Old Testament, whether that's Psalms or whether that's the prophets or whether that's um, Job, all sorts of places, these things go together. If we can just flick to the next slide, there are these two words, two Hebrew words that are used. Uh, The word for righteousness is sedeqah and the word for justice is mishvat. Now, they are often used together. They have different meanings. Uh, The word justice... Uh, this mishfat word mishpat word is this idea that uh, of legal justice it can also be translated law that when someone does something wrong they deserve justice that that there will be things will be put right does that make sense that then in our head that often includes for us punishment it doesn 't necessarily have that sense but it has this sense of things being put right and uh people uh, um, being held accountable for the consequences of their actions and the things being fixed. that um, the word for righteousness, uh, I don't know what, what righteousness means to you when you think about righteousness. Um, often in, in um, evangelical churches we talk about righteousness as this thing that somehow God does for us through Jesus on the cross and we become righteous. Now that's true, not denying that, just want to be clear, not denying any of those things but this idea in the old testament word of righteousness is about right relationship it's about righteousness in relation to other things and we know that's true because we have righteousness in relationship with Jesus right our righteousness doesn't come sort of as some uh disembodied um disconnected thing we are righteous because Jesus made us righteous and when we are in him we share his righteousness that's, I think, theologically correct. But when these two words get put together, they had this really interesting idea that uh, Tim Keller, do you know Tim, I don't know if you read Tim Keller. Tim Keller's a um, uh, conservative, evangelical, reformed theolo- theology guy. So very much, uh, if, you're, if you're talking left and right, he's on the right. He's conservative. He's not one of these weird, liberal, lefty um justice warriors, you know those people not one of them and he says conservative right wing right, he's not really right wing conservative um, um, reformed theologian says when these two words are put together as they are numerous times throughout the Old Testament, we should read them as social justice things being made right, things being put in order through right relationship. In fact, he says there's this idea that um, the, this word righteousness, if we can go to the next slide, this next, the word righteousness is about, uh, the righteousness of God is God's powerful activity of making right what is wrong in the world, God actually doing something about it. In fact, the word righteousness can actually be translated as uh Using our power to bring things into right alignment. Using the power that we've been given to make things right. That's different, right? That's not necessarily how we think about it often. Using our power to make things right. Not just praying about it. Not just sitting back passively now, I'm not saying uh, you know, we shouldn't pray. I'm big into prayer, and I think it's really, really important. We should pray for these situations, We should pray for this stuff. But the issue is, if righteousness and justice are actual activities of God that, that actually become our worship, then when we pray, the danger is that God might just ask us to be part of the solution to our own prayer. So we can pray all we like, and we should pray all we like for what's happening in Ukraine. But be careful, because God might tell you to get on a plane and go there. And where we are trying to be safe and protected and not deal too much with it, God might say, I want you to fly into the middle of a war zone and test some blood. Be careful. Because if the justice and righteousness of God is about activity and action then God might just ask us to do something about it. Okay, hey, feel them. Just take a breath. It's okay. We'll quickly flick to the next slide so we can stop thinking about that. Look, smiley, happy Ugandan woman. Everything's good. <sighs> okay, now we can go to the next slide. Just to um, make the point. Isaiah 58, my least favourite passage in the Bible. Starts by talking about worship and what it means when God's people gather together and sort of like, I detest your songs, get away from me, I want nothing to do with that stuff. If you want to know what worship is, God says to his people through Isaiah, this is it. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Do you have those relatives? This has been live streamed, so I'm really not going to talk about it this time. Do you have those relatives? You know who I mean. You know, the ones that just keep wanting help. I'm not home. Oh, oh, I reject. <laughs> Hiding from this stuff is, is actually easy to do, right? It's really easy to say, I'm just not going to engage with it, I'm going to hide from it. But what if God's call for us to in our worship, in our discipleship, in our spiritual formation is to engage with the world in its very brokenness? Old Testament, I, we don't have to think about it anymore because Jesus has come now and uh, that's all forgotten. Yeah? Next slide. Jesus did this thing. We talked in Matthew twenty five about the sheep and the goats. Do you remember that story? Where people on this day of judgment, he tells this story, the day of judgment, people are actually held account held to account for how they treated the poor. Not just because of how they treated the poor, Jesus says the way you treat the poor is exactly the way I think you're treating me. Swallow. The way you treat the poor, the way you encounter the stranger, the way you the way you make room for the, that person who is not like you. I was just reminded in a conversation after the first service. I don't know if you saw uh, any of the election coverage last night and saw Peter Malinowski's speech, but when he stands up. I, I get emotional at this because I have some um, strong Aboriginal connection in my family. But when he stands up and, st- and his opening statement is, today I stand with my feet firmly planted on Ghana country. And I want to acknowledge Elders past, present and future. And we don't acknowledge them just in words, but we want to acknowledge them in what we do. I was in tears. I was a mess last night. That's what justice starts to look like, right? And Jesus says, the way you treat other people, I expect you to understand that that's how I think you're treating me. Oh, when did we treat you poorly? When you didn't give them a glass of water. When you didn't visit them in prison. When you didn't do those things. That's tough, huh? Jesus doesn't lower the bar, he raises the bar. The Benedictines, uh, in their monasteries, had, Benedictines have like all these rules. So Benedict had this rule of life for all his monks. There was like pages and pages of stuff, like how you, how you approach every single bit of life. And right at the end, he says none of this should be onerous or burdensome. You know? uh, but he, uh, when when a visitor would come to the monastery, they would throw themselves at their feet, and Demonstrate by their full bodily action that they were serving them however they needed to be served. just because that person might be Jesus. they didn't want to miss that. Next slide. What if God really did want to end poverty? This is our mission statement for Baptist World Aid. We dream of a world where poverty has ended and all people enjoy the fullness of life, God intends. That's trying to put the positive spin on it, right? Let's just... Try and be happy for a little bit, smiley Ugandan boy. The fullness of life got intense, the shalom of life, the well-being of life, that everything in its right place. Could you dream of that? What if God's dreaming of that? And what if his call to us is put those words into action? I mean, you guys are doing that. In your generosity, and the way we work together and partner together, you guys are doing that. You're making a huge difference in Uganda. Let me go to the next slide. I want to tell you the story of James. Um, I'm going to read this because I really want to get it right. James is um, 24 and he lives in northern Uganda, up near the border with uh, South Sudan, Uh, He lost his parents at a young age in South Sudan in the war and uh, came across the border into Uganda as a refugee and lived in one of the communities that you guys support. Um, He's 24 years old. He has a wife and three young children. And in that, when when he first encountered our Christian partners over there, Not enough food, no access to savings, no access to credit, no access to the legal banking systems of Uganda as a refugee. had no rights in that space. But with the help of our local Christian partner, who you guys helped to fund, he... uh, joined a youth savings group. I don't know if you know what savings groups are, but it is great or great thing that we do in every village we work in to help people learn to save, to gather enough money so that they can actually get better interest from a bank and do those sort of things and uh, and slowly build their capital to be able to help do some things. He borrowed some money from that savings group and he bought a pig and two goats. Um And then he also borrowed some more money to buy an oven so he could bake bread to sell to create another stream of income. He's amazingly entrepreneurial. And uh, in all the projects I've visited uh, in developing countries around the world, I've discovered that poor people don't want to be poor. They don't. And you give them a little bit of help and they will do amazingly incredible things with that help. And they will take it and they will take the opportunity and they will turn it into something that we could never even dream of. So he's joined a farmer's group now and he's learnt new skills and he conti- contributes now to a commercial garden as well. So a father of three young children doing all these things. Now he can afford basic needs like paying school fees for his children, buying food for a balanced diet, clothing, sleeping in a good quality house. This is why we don't build hospitals and we don't uh, build schools we help people develop greater income streams and long-term sustainability so they can do it for themselves it's much more dignified and it's much more sustainable and we can be there for nine years and we know we can do this in nine years and then we can leave and go do it somewhere else and the village will be fine but how's this quote I'd like to open a larger retail business this year and in 10 years' time, I'd like to construct a primary school to support the orphans, since I know how much it means to be an orphan. That's transformational, right? Now he's passing on this stuff to the next generation and the next generation and we're making generational difference in this community. You guys, Hills Baptist, are making generational difference in this community. COVID threatens all of that, of course. And Uganda has been hit by COVID pretty hard. I just want to quickly show you uh, a video clip from uh, some of the partners that we work with in Uganda. Baptist World Aid has been the heart and hands of Australian Baptists since 1959. We work towards ending poverty through 71 projects with 38 local Christian partners in 17 countries, Uganda is one of these countries.
1: When COVID-19 pandemic appeared, people had lost, had lost hope. There are children who have not been in school because schools have been closed. People who have wanted to participate in corporate worship have not been able to do so. What I see in our staff is that there is a genuine interest in working with children. It is an attribute of uh, servanthood at the, at the project level. This season has helped us to transform our faith, knowing that God is there, God is watching. God knows that these people are vulnerable and God knows that it is us to to, to support them, support them move out of that vulnerability. I want to share a story of a young girl uh, who is uh, married. We met this girl when we were forming uh, the groups. She was one of the last people to join the groups because she didn't believe in herself. She thought she could never make it in in life. She had not attained school. She was just living a life at home, depending on the husband. And according to her, she had lost hope before and she didn't have friends. She didn't have people to encourage her. But through the work we do, she's one of the leaders. She's a treasurer in their group, among the children. Children go on mobilizing other children to join the children groups. Uh, The same thing among the youth, then among the women. So there's that element of love. Everything is done in love. There's no selfishness that it's only me who has to benefit and others miss out. So in such a way we, we've seen that the community is working together and and there is there is change happening in the whole community, not just for for individuals. Uh, we feel so 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 warm when we realize that there are people who are committed to pray with us. Pray with us that uh, the infections don't escalate into our uh, uh, operation areas. Pray for us so that we can have the wisdom to make the necessary adjustments in life as we are moving forward. Pray so that people will continue having hope in life. They will continue having hope in the Lord. Thank you very much. Your support given to Uganda, to our community, has changed lives, children, youth, women and men, lives that have had lost hope, have gained hope.
0: Got schools sh- got, sorry, schools got shut down in Uganda for eighteen months or so, um, and have recently, in the last couple of months, reopened. We we're really worried about what what that might look like, with kids coming back to school. There's a, a one one village, a school classroom that uh, has seating for thirty kids, and three hundred children turned up on the first day. So. Um, Probably don't need to worry too much about that. They're doing good. Um, so what do we do? If we can put that last slide back up. What do we do? I we, uh, said so Dave and Lee and I were talking a couple of weeks ago and uh, there's been amazing generosity from Hills Baptist and I said to Dave, what do you want to do? And uh, Dave and Lee, and I guess with the leadership team, the elders, I don't know where it came from, but anyway, have set $30,000 as a target. That QR code will take you to your very own Hills Baptist Uganda Partnership page where you can do three things. You can give to your partnership. You can uh, sponsor a child in, in one of those communities and give them not just a child but the whole community a sense of hope um, and the third thing is, you can watch that video again. I should have said that in the first service, but um, uh, it's an old version that's up there. That version I gave you came hot off the presses late Thursday, um, and you are the first people. To see. You're also the first people to see our new banners up the back and everything as well. You are very lucky. Um, uh, from I think tomorrow, the, the, that new version of the video will be on that website. So if you want to watch that again and grab those prayer points or whatever. Uh, But I really encourage you to think about what God might be asking you to do in terms of giving, in terms of supporting children, uh, in support of continuing to pray for Uganda and your partnership. And, uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you. It's uh, – I believe with all my heart that God wants to end poverty and that we get to joyfully partner with him in that. So I encourage you to think about that and pray about it. Let's pray together. Lord, justice and righteousness are your throne. You are, uh, you are seated on them. They are the foundational thing to who you are and how you act in the world. And Lord, we, when we look at the world, we realize that that doesn't add up like that sometimes. But we want to lift our eyes. We want to lift our expectation. We want to join with you in what you're doing, God. So we pray for our world, we pray for the many conflicts and disasters and um, ravages of COVID that are happening all around the place. And uh, today we focus especially on praying for Uganda, Lord, and ask that you would bless that nation. We Pray for our Christian partners there, that we would continue to support them well, love them well, encourage them well, so that they may do your work in this nation. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to partner with you in what you're doing. Lord, help us to see a better world. Help us to see a better world for everyone. We ask it in your name. Amen. So that code's up there. It's also up on the back table. I'm hanging around for a while, so if you'd like to have a chat or find out more, I've got lots of cool stories I could tell you. Um, but uh, let's uh, let's do that. Thank you so much, Hills. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast.